Our next guest, Kurt Nelson, the founding partner and CEO of Summer Haven Investment Management, joins us this morning. Kurt, it's good to have you here. And I was just taking a look at crude and some of the technicals. I want to get your thoughts on the fundamentals because it does seem to be getting a lift off the $70 low that we saw last week at the Biden administration looking to re replenish some of the SPRs around that level. But amidst some of these China and U.S. recession demand concerns, I guess I'm wondering how high can it go? Well, so the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, you know, is meant to be maintained as a as a reserve for crises, right? Um, it's a, it's not meant to be a political tool. It's not necessarily meant to be used for price control. And if you look at the prior four years, it was maintained at a very steady level of about 650 million barrels. Um, what we've seen over the cycle, uh, roughly coincident with the weakness in oil prices starting around, you know, summer of 22 was a steady kind of, you know, 45 degree line decline in those reserve levels. And now they're at uh, less than 400 million barrels. So um, one would presume that at least prior to mid 22, the government thought that 650 million was an appropriate level and it was maintained uh, consistently at that for four or five years or longer. I think um, we had high energy prices, uh, gasoline prices this summer coming into a midterm election cycle. Um, we've seen with the Biden administration, but also with prior presidential administrations, that the SPR can sometimes be used as a tool to try to mitigate high prices and inflation that will hurt at the ballot box. The problem is if 650 million barrels is that right number, we've got 250 million barrels to buy just to get back to that steady state. So I think that's broadly supportive. Um, you also mentioned, Ben, you know, this retraction of a zero COVID policy in China. We don't know what that's going to mean. I think we're in an uncontrolled experiment right now. Mm -hmm. On the one hand, we could be optimistic and think China's going to reopen. There's going to be new demand. Um, you know, employers are going to be more, or employees will be more freely able to get to work. Factories will be able to operate on a more regular schedule. But um, I'm also concerned about the tail risk that you have a um, less vaccinated population that's been really kind of unexposed to COVID and other viruses that we've been experiencing in, in the U.S., like RSV and flu, um, through this just physical containment. And so as they migrate to this um, more open zero, you know, abandoning the zero COVID policy, um, I think that we may see greater you know, demand and, and growth in the Chinese economy, but we also might see a health crisis as their population gets sick at a scale that the West experienced and as their health system tries to manage that. So I think that's a wild card um, and it's really hard to forecast. Kurt, I think uh, you, the concern you just uh, raised is shared by many and market participants as well. Uh, that's why we've been coming off China reporting last uh, last day, I think it was, two deaths. But uh, there's many that are uh, raising uh, questions about those numbers um, in terms of whether we're getting accurate uh, results. And, and to your point a minute ago in terms of the SPRs, I'm noticing we closed out last year 
2021 with about 600 million. It looks like capacity is around 714. We're currently around 382, as you mentioned, below 400. So uh, there is around 250, 300 to get us back to those levels where we would be. So uh, lots to keep an eye on here. And speaking of that, I mean, China is now pledging uh, to, to, to promote consumption ultimately. So obviously that seems to support prices somewhat as well. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, I mean, the Chinese economy is huge, right? It's right behind the U.S. Um, I think we've seen slower GDP numbers, slower growth. I think that if we see a health impact from the, the abandonment of the zero COVID policy, that will lead to, I believe, concerns about their economic expectations. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I imagine you might see some, you know, central government actions to support the Chinese economy, um, you know, easing. Um, and that's coming into this cycle where we have a lot of inflationary pressures globally. Um, I mean, we're, we're seeing tightening in the West uh, in as, as interest rates are being brought higher, people are worried about inflation. Um, central banks are worried about inflation. And yet uh, raw material inventories are at really low levels. So it creates this um, dynamic where, uh, I know when you were speaking with Kevin earlier, there's fears of a recession. And I think that we may be entering a period uh, into 23, 24, where we've got weak economic conditions, but still con you know, consistently high inflation, mm. um, what we call stagflation. Let's talk a little bit about gold back above 1800 uh, a reflection of the dollar, which has come off or some of those concerns about stagflation and uh, 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 some of the uncertainties that lie ahead, possibly even geopolitics. I think it's more geopolitical. I think, you know, interest rates are still high. They're going to maybe rise at a slower pace than we've seen. You know, I think the 75 basis point hikes um, won't happen for a while, but we're going to still see a higher rate. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think we've talked before that, you know, there was an exciting CPI print that everyone received, you know, yay, inflation is now 7%. That's still a really high yeah. number. We're, we're, we're way beyond the 2% target yeah. that the Fed has. And they're only at 4% or so right now. So we're going to have to get interest rates higher. Maybe we grow them at a slower pace, but they're still going to keep going higher. Um, I think that's a headwind for, for gold as a, you know, where cash becomes, uh, particularly U.S. cash as a reserve currency, becomes a more attractive alternative for you know, preservation of wealth. But I still think the big thing that's, that we haven't seen yet is a real collapse in uh, confidence in the U.S. equity market. Um, I mean, in 20, we're coming up to the close of 22. Um, we've seen the Summer Haven Dynamic Commodity Index uh, or SDCI appreciate by nearly 30% over the year. We've seen the S&P fall 20% and the NASDAQ fall 30. So we've got a, a huge 50% spread, performance spread, between commodities and traditional financial assets. But we haven't seen the kind of uh, fear-led uh, sell-off um, that we've experienced at times. Um, you know, particularly for me personally, it was really the 0809 financial crisis. Um, I think, uh, as you and Kevin mentioned, it could be that, you know, these multiples, uh, these valuations in the market start to become so 
a high that along with uh, higher interest rates and weaker financial conditions, higher inflation, that we start to see uh, um, you know a more, a more fear-based sell-off in financial markets. I think that will be a big rally point for gold because it tends to respond to that emotional distress. We've been talking about that. Would we get some sort of a your old traditional safe haven tendency returning back to gold if we were to see some selling grow in the indices, take out that October low, for example? And the chart we were just looking at as you brought those points to our attention from 2100 roughly to 1600, we'll call it. And I mentioned at the top of the show how markets headed into the year were relatively contained. Look at gold around 1825, 1850, basically right in the yeah. middle of that range. Let's talk a little bit about some uh, silver and some of the other industrial metals they seem to be waiting to get a better feel for how the dust is going to settle in terms of some of those two scenarios that you painted in terms of what could play out as far as china yeah i think i think traditionally the energy sector and the industrial metal sector and i, I think of silver as a as a hybrid so gold is a pure you know precious metal so silver is considered a precious metal but more than 50 percent of silver is used in industrial production um, so it's much less of, a, of an alternative reserve currency than gold. What we know is that inventories are low. Um, uh, you know, a big producer of metals happens to be Russia, and so and that includes gold and silver as well as the platinum, palladium group metals. Um, I think there historically, when we have economic weakness, the the energy and industrial metals commodities tend to sell off. But we're coming up on a cycle where we just mentioned the SPR and the fact that the U.S. is going to have to buy to replenish. Um, we still have supply disruptions, um, you know, Russia as well as a big energy producer. Um, but we have within the metal sector this new organic demand. We've got electric vehicles, renewable energy, um, and that's going to continue to accelerate, to grow and expand over the next decade. And that's regardless of whether we're moving into a recession or not. I think this this is a um, uh, inevitable movement that is both popular with um, uh, the the broad public in the U.S., in Europe, in Asia, but it's also become important to the central governments. So it's got both kind of uh, populist and and government support. Uh, as well, we're seeing an acceleration of that in Europe as they're trying to move away from a need for Russian natural gas and oil and try to figure out how to power their their national economies with things like wind and solar. Um, you know, I think it was an interesting data point last week that I read, Ben, that you know Ford uh, has the F-150 electric pickup truck. It recently won national awards as the best truck whether it was combustion engine or electric. It's just a fantastic vehicle. Mm -hmm. But the price of that vehicle in the last 12 months has gone up 40%. Mm -hmm. And Ford claims that that's because of the cost of the batteries, the cost of the metals, the cost of the input prices. And so I think there's a um, inherent um, demand spike that we're gonna see that we ha just haven't experienced for the prior uh, 30, 40 years in industrial metals, and this is going to be global. It's not going to be just U.S.-led, and we're we're entering that in a period where supplies are actually quite low. Um, so I think metals set up really interesting over the the medium and long term. 
popular support, government support, supplies low. It does seem like uh, that demand inevitable and uh, growing for one and also probably uh, here to stay for a while. Uh, always a pleasure to have you with us here. And, and Kurt, happy holidays to you and your team at Summerhaven. Ladies and gentlemen, Kurt Nelson, the founding partner and CEO of Summerhaven Investment Management.